Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday 15th of December, Andy Martin taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions where Andy talks about the role of spiritual gifts in the church today. Andy is based in Birmingham but spends most of his time training and equipping church leaders in some of the toughest places in the world to be a Christian. Let's take a listen to the session. True story. So someone, uh, a visitor wanders into one of our churches in Istanbul and uh, this is relevant, I was reminded of it when we were talking about Jonah and um, uh, the Turkish pastor that day is teaching on the story of Jonah and Jonah running away and the storm coming and the boat's going to sink and all of this and he finishes and this visitor, first time visitor, runs up to him Pastor, pastor, will you pray for me? Uh, my life is like the man in this story. Um, uh, I have been running from God. I know everything is going wrong in my life. It's like there's a storm. That's why I've come today. Um, I have to, have to put things right. Please, will you pray for me? It's just like that man in the story. So uh, the pastor says to him, of course I'll pray for you. What's your name? He said, Jonah. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Happened in Istanbul. Amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to read it together. Even though there's not much time, there is so much that's in this passage which is very practical when it comes to spiritual gifts. Um, Again, remember the story. It's always helpful to put things in the context of the big story. One of the things we talked about in the prophets was that God's going to make a new covenant. It's going to be a new day. And uh, God's going to put things on our hearts, on his commands on our hearts. Joel, that's Jeremiah, that's also Ezekiel. Joel talks about my spirit being poured out. And as you go through uh, the story, Jesus comes. And uh, he's the one from God that the prophets talked about. And he dies on the cross. He's raised again uh, to life. And often, um, it's not that provocative, but sometimes people hear it provocatively. We will kind of finish our gospel account there. Jesus dying on the cross and them being raised. Often we'll talk more about the cross than we will about the resurrection. You don't separate them. Because without the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross is nothing. Yeah. It really isn't. The way we know he's the one from God is God vindicated him and raised him to life. That's when the disciples and then subsequent followers understood Jesus really was from God. Because it was God who raised him. So he must be from God because God's brought him to life again. God, Jesus is being vindicated as the one from God. And then, even if we get that, we'll sometimes finish. No, the full good news is that God now lives in you. That's the point. Not only that you can be forgiven, not only that you can be made right with him, not only that you will be with him forever and ever, which we used to say was in heaven, but actually is a new heaven and a new earth. The message is, is God now lives in your life by filling you with his presence. You're now the temple. Jesus' sacrifice is what makes your heart clean. And now you're clean, God says, fantastic, I'll come and live here. So like in the Old Testament with Solomon's temple, they killed a thousand cattle. Um, That would have been a messy day. Uh, It really would. Sorry to any vegetarians. Um, 
and I don't want to dwell on it in an unhelpful way, but honestly, it was, you know, we imagine this incredible worship service because there's a huge choir and everything. It would have been a smelly day. Um, cattle smell, and that's when they're alive. Um, and they make the sacrifice, and then it says the glory of God came because they cleansed it. It says, it's clean. You've built this for me. You've followed my instructions. I said I wanted to live among you. Now I'll come. Whoosh. It's a Hebrew word. Someone's writing that down. Whoosh. Hebrew. God's glory. Whoosh. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. You put your faith in Jesus' sacrifice now, not that the cattle have been, and God says, now I can come home. Back in the Garden of Eden, walking with you in the garden, walking with you at uni, walking with you around your house, walking with you as you raise your kids, which is really also important. I'm no hope of finishing this by 12.30. One of the things as we go through this, we need to realise this isn't just something for our meetings. One of the, the things, again, in our kind of tradition is that the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, gets played out in our meeting. It should do. Jesus didn't play any of this out in any meetings. <coughs> There was no one who models a spirit-filled life to us more than what Jesus does. And he didn't spend too much time in Holy Spirit conferences. This was lived out for him. This was times of prayer in the night on the mountain. This was uh, walking down through the streets, having a word, revelation for him, healing someone. So as we teach today on this, yes, Paul's teaching is how it plays out in a meeting, and in the church but remember it's meant to be wider than that um, and certainly your life in the spirit is it's wonderful hopefully tomorrow when we're worshipping together in different sites around the city um, you will meet the Holy Spirit know him coming to you afresh with you with the company of God's people hallelujah I love times like that there's no reason why you can't know his presence just as powerfully Monday morning getting a bus on the way to work that's what God wants that's what God has given us his presence there. Yes, when we're worshipping and you think, oh, it's like I'm in the throne room. God says, it's amazing. Someone brings a prophetic word or someone brings a prophecy. Oh, this is incredible. But God wants you to know that during the week as well. Um, so Jesus' blood makes us clean and God says, now I can come and live in you. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is, is God coming to take up residence in your life. It's not just an intimate emotional moment. It's power for living. It's God saying, I'm home. Um, and I want us to read this in that context. So then churches start to form, a new community. People, Paul and others, go to the synagogues, but sadly many reject them, not all. And then a new community is formed called the church of Jew and Gentile. And that's the dwelling, that's the temple where God lives by his spirit, Paul says. But then it's not just his presence and awareness of him, but he gives these gifts now, gifts in that culture, and it's still true today, were a big part of the culture. We read this with, two weeks' time, Christmas in mind. Oh, it's a gift. That's a nice present. And in some of your households, gifts will be exchanged and never looked at again. And with our kids, when they were younger, the boxes were always far more interesting. Never understood why Fisher-Price made everything light up. They just need to just give us the box. It was fine. I uh, just have the box, please. Take the toy out. We'll leave that. They're not going to be interested. Just the box. The box will get played with for weeks on end. And we can be a bit like that with gifts. It's kind of a take it or leave it thing. But in Bible times, and it's still true in the Middle East today, no gifts were a sign of relationship. They're an outworking of relationship. Gifts would be given to strengthen relationship. 
gifts will be given expecting to be used, expecting to make a difference. So when it talks about spiritual gifts, we need to change our thinking from an optional extra or something which is nice or if our meetings go well to something which God has given for a reason, for a purpose, and he expects us to use them. Does that make some sense? Yeah. Uh, that's from culture. That's not just me being a charismatic saying, come on, use a gift. No, that's, that's the expectation. When people heard gifts, they didn't think Christmas presents or birthday gifts. What they heard was a rich person, because that's how the cultures worked, giving gifts for a purpose to people who didn't have them. And that still happens in the Middle East today. Um, is that people would share their wealth, depending on the tribe or the village or how it plays out, getting to a big subject here. But that's gifts would come from someone who's a benefit, a patron, to care for or bless the people who are loyal to them. And that's how people would have heard this. It's a gift, it's given freely, but in relationship and for a purpose and to be used. So even though we're going to rush through this, and even more so because I'm taking a long time over my introduction, but it's really important, this isn't just... Is the PA just gone? Yeah. Oh, it's coming again. This isn't just for um, like an optional extra or just for um, something to be used in an exciting meeting. This seems to have turned itself off. I don't know if someone wants to look at that. The, this, this piece here. I don't know if the battery's gone. And then we get most instruction on this from the Corinthian church where Paul writes. That's what we're going to read. And also... There's a short passage in Romans, which I'll refer to but not read, in Romans 12. So, we'll just read the first 33 verses. Follow the way of love. The previous chapter is that beautiful passage all about love, where Paul talks about how love is more important. We've got faith, we've got hope, and we've got love, but the greatest is love. And 1 Corinthians 14 follows straight on from that. So remember, this love. Follow this love, says Paul. Now, spiritual gifts. And again, it's a relationship, it's a love relationship, gifts flow out of a love relationship. So it's not Paul just going on to another subject. It's not just Paul saying, let's talk about something really, really good, which is love. Now, I've got some things I need to correct you on. That would have been a flow in Paul's mind around gifts and relationship. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, so that's a supernatural language given by the Holy Spirit, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are to mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies, and remember, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit, it's different from the prophets we've just talked about, who are kind of bringing direct revelation that became God's word. This prophecy is different. And we glimpse some of this in the Old Testament. So you read of people, that there's a, a company of prophets around Saul, one of the kings. We never know what they prophesied. But it says they prophesied. We read about Elijah, and he had a school of prophets who prophesied. That didn't become scripture. So in the Old Testament, there was a gift or an operation of prophecy that never wrote scripture. But these big names that we talked about clearly became those that brought such revelation, such prophetic understanding that that became scripture. But prophecy had another level, if, if that makes sense. And it's more that level that Paul's talking about here. One who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, strengthens themselves. But the one who prophesies strengthens, edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation on knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Now, what Bible interpreters, scholars think is that Paul is emphasising this so much because the Corinthians really thought tongues was the thing. And that in their meetings, everyone was babbling in tongues. And I'd get up and say something in tongues, you'd jump up and say something. Before you'd finish, you'd be off on one. And then someone else would be. And it became almost like a, a competitive thing of saying, no, I have more of the Spirit than you do. Listen to me talk in tongues. And then you're off. No, I can talk in more tongues than you can. Um, and although Paul isn't saying that specifically, it's pretty clear that he's wanting to get a message to them that the Corinthians love tongues, but Paul is saying that's not the greatest deal. Um, and not everybody was speaking in tongues. He said, I wish you all were. So it's clear that the Corinthians were enjoying spiritual gifts, but Paul is writing to give order here. He's not restricting anything or telling them to stop, but he's saying, hang on, you know, th- this isn't the right way to do it. Um, so that's the background, scholars think, to why Paul was saying these things. There's all sorts of languages in the world, verse 10. None of them is without meaning. If then I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. The speaker is foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. What's a provocation for us is Paul, it's clear those gifts were functioning, but Paul just thinks this is normal. That there are lots of gifts going on. So that that Paul isn't giving much teaching Uh, about the reasons for the gifts or even loads of explanation about what they are. There is some there. We'll look at that. But I want us to be provoked by how normal this is and how Paul isn't trying to say, let me remind you, this gift does this, this, his. It's just happening. And Paul wants you to desire them. This is normal. Um, For this reason, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. If I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. That's helpful. Just drawing some things out before I make some other points at the end. So the speaking in a tongue, singing in a tongue. Um, some of you can, are probably able to do that. Uh, possibly not all of you. Um, some people would say there's typically in the Pentecostal denominations that a sign that you're filled with the Spirit is you talk in tongues. If you can't talk in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. Um, and they get that from some of the accounts in Acts where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, people then spoke in tongues. But it's clear from Paul that not everybody can. And it's also clear in Acts that not everybody started talking in tongues. Um, but Paul does think it's important because it builds us up. So it's a language which may be an earthly known language, but is revealed to you, by, given you by the Holy Spirit, or more often than not, it seems to be a, uh, what Paul might call a spirit language or a heavenly language, or the language of angels. But what Paul is saying is, you don't switch your mind off. Because you, you don't know what you're saying. Unless God gives you an interpreter, you don't know. And I think that's helpful for us. So it's so easy just to, if you've been praying in tongues for a while, just to drift kind of in worship 
and you're speaking in tongues, but your mind isn't engaged. Now, let your mind be praising God, but also speak in tongues. Really practical. This is why I want to read this. I'm not just getting to my notes. It's full of some practical help here, which is pretty clear. Um, if you're not doing this, how can... Um, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who's new put the position of an inquirer, say, I meant your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I don't know how Paul knew that. It's interesting, that. But obviously that's a statement he could make and they wouldn't argue with him. So maybe they heard him in prayer meetings or worship times. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others and 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, and your thinking be adults. In the law it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. A sign that God is working, the Spirit is, is there. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in a tongue, and inquirers or believers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? Now for this reason, numbers of churches now are saying... Let's dial back a bit on spiritual gifts. We get visitors on Sunday. We don't want them thinking we're crazy. I disagree with that. Just, and I've got good friends who would, who would argue with you. That's fine. and we, we won't fall out. Paul isn't saying don't do things. He's saying do it in order. Make it clear. Make it intelligible. And I think that's more of the issue. The presence of God in the Old Testament primarily gets seen through incredible visions or through fire at night, smoke in the day, that's with the people of Israel through the wilderness, or with encounters up in mountains, or with things shaking. It seems to me that the presence of God in the church, in the New Testament, gets displayed through spiritual gifts. That's why this is important. Yes, he makes his presence known through all kinds of emotional encounters. We may be overwhelmed with a sense of awe, or overwhelmed with a sense of being close to him, or with love, or with peace. But it seems and Paul's going to go on to about prophecy in a minute, that actually God makes himself known through spiritual gifts. People walk in and think, wow, there's something going on here. Now, of course, for the Corinthian worldview, as in a lot of the world, they'd have no problem believing in spiritual power. It's only us in the West that have that problem. Often with believers in the Middle East, we don't have to teach them to receive the Spirit. We have to explain it after it's happened, because they've just received the Spirit. They don't have the questions we have. Of course there's spirits, of course there's power. In, in Africa, many parts of Africa, it's not an issue. Birds can be spirits, trees can be spirits. The question is, which is the holy one? Sorry, which is the powerful one? Which is the true one? That's the issue we get into. Here we get into, this is weird, what's going on? How come you're speaking weird words? What does that mean? And so I don't think we should restrict people from encountering God in that way and being provoked. But we must heed Paul's instruction here, things done in order. So explanation interpretation of a tongue, letting people know what's going on. And I, for those of you that uh, run meetings, I have some leadership responsibility in different meetings for these things, the Holy Spirit will not leave when you get up to explain something. So often people say, oh, don't interrupt the flow. What is a flow, for goodness sake? <laughs> I'm serious, I'm going to go off on one. <laughs> what is this charismatic worship flow? From what I checked on reading the Bible... Jesus died on the cross, rose again, promised if I put my faith in him, I would be made clean and the spirit will live in me. It's got nothing to do with flow 
or whether we've sung a particularly anointed song or not. When you gather to worship, the Spirit's there. Receive it in faith and then engage with it. Now, of course, there's moments when suddenly you think, I don't know what the guitarist has done, but when he hit that chord, the glory of God fell in the room. Well, it was nothing to do with the chord. Otherwise, we just would play that every week. And I've been in meetings where you sing a particular song, you think, oh, Jesus is here, this is incredible. Sing the song the next week, and you think, goodness, I'm in a graveyard. (laughs) And it's nothing to do with the presence of God. And it is a mystery, and I don't think, we don't really have language for it. I'm not bothered by that, it's just the reality. Often we'll say, oh, God's here, God's just arrived. He's late then, we've been worshipping for 40 minutes. (laughs) Why does the Spirit, why does the Spirit always seem to come? It's just you're trying to wrap the worship up. There's not a lot going on today. That's okay. We'll move on. We'll get the preacher up. And someone comes with an awesome prophecy and everyone's weeping. You think, oh, I'm going to go out of the meeting in a minute. What's... I think language of anointing helps us. It seems that there are, there's an anointing on a song or there's an anointing on a word. I think that's, you know, there are moments. Our language of, oh, God has just come. And I've said it. I don't get hung up. Please don't get hung up on this. These aren't rules. I'm just trying to help us think through the reality so someone speaks in a tongue, you think the presence of God is powerful. It's not a problem for you to get to the microphone and say, here's what Paul says, here's what we believe. Has anyone got the interpretation there to be an awkward silence? The Holy Spirit will not leave when there's an awkward silence. We're the ones who feel the awkwardness, not the Holy Spirit. And he will be more honoured and glorified because we're recognising the gift and saying the Bible has explained to us what should happen. Let's just wait for a while and see if he speaks. And you can go back into worship and find the Holy Spirit is still there. So they'll be confident you're not going to frighten him away. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I would agree with you. I think you can read this in a way that says we should ask for the interpretation. And I think it's helpful to teach people when we're discipling and in contexts like these to say before you bring a tongue, Ask God for interpretation, but I wouldn't restrict it to that. I have definitely seen people that have a gift. Um, I can be in a room, obviously, where I know people, and someone can bring a tongue, and I can be thinking, I bet she will now get up and interpret, and they do. So I think both are true. We absolutely, and I'm not being diplomatic, I totally agree with you, need to say to people, hey, if God's given you a tongue, why don't you ask them for the interpretation too, like Paul says? There's an expectation that with the gift can come an interpretation, but neither would I, the danger then is, is, we can, is people can think, well, I haven't got an interpretation, but I feel like this thing's bubbling up, I won't bring it. So we have to pass the people through that, but it's, it's doing both. Just trying to be really practical here to help you. Let's, let's get on. Um, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of the heart are laid bare. So they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Isn't that what we long for? Part of prophecy is revealing God, making him known, and sometimes that can be personal in terms of people's lives. It doesn't necessarily mean the secrets of the heart are laid bare because someone picked them out and said, last night I saw you in this place, terrible, repent. Um, I think we're reading into that. It could mean that, you know, God's got a message for you. But it could also mean just a general God is present, and the secrets of the heart are laid bare. In other words, light has come. Things they're wanting to hide and they're brought into the open they receive God's mercy. All of that could happen in a personal encounter. It doesn't mean there's a public prophecy. So just to help us with that. It certainly could be. 
Um, I'm not ruling either out, but don't just read. Oh, it must mean there's a great prophetic gift reading up people's addresses and telephone numbers and telling them their sins for the last week. I don't think it does mean that. What it does mean is part of the presence of God manifesting itself through the gifts and particularly through prophecy should lead to a sense that God is here and people's hearts are touched. And there's a missional element to the prophetic gift. Um, And again, in our culture and with individualism and with the kind of some of the backdrop of God's love and God wants to bless you often prophecy today can be an individual opportunity for you to receive a personal encouraging word from God and it's bigger than that and we need to see both I my prophetic gift works best kind of individually I could look around a room I'll see pictures God will give me things and I will prophesy many positive encouraging things over I do that but I long for days like this too. And that the danger is, is prophecies becoming therapeutic, make you feel better. And it's not to make you feel better. It's meant to build you up and strengthen you, part of which is obviously making you feel better and touches your emotions, but it's to reveal the glory of God. It's to bring holiness into our lives. And isn't simply prophesying, God's got great plans for you, he's going to bless you, and he's going to use you to change your business. Let's move on. I've got no problem with that. I've bought words like that. But the danger is I'm seeing that in my own life. So this isn't just me pointing the fingers. And in the church, more than touching some of what Paul seems to be talking about. Does that make some sense? So don't stop the other. Just come on God more. And if you've never prophesied before, Paul's, I'm getting into my notes now, doesn't matter. Paul says, eagerly desire this. So don't be thinking that your first prophecy has to be a world-changing, community-changing, Holy Spirit fire-bringing prophetic word. If you're getting overwhelmed with a sense of, I think God just wants me to get up the front and say that God really loves us and someone this morning doubted that and he wants you to hear it, then bring that and sit down. Because what you don't know is that as someone made their way, caught the bus to come to your site to worship, they were thinking, God, I'm about to give up. I don't feel you love me anymore. So much rubbish has gone on and I'm not worthy. Unless I know you love me, I'm going to give up. This will be the last time I set foot in this church. And you get up and bring something which you think is simple and everybody knows and you bring it, and that person breaks down in tears. And I've seen that happen. And I've seen it happen with me. I've wrestled and thought, this is so simple, I'm not going to bring this. And I bring it, and someone comes to me after and says, you know, I prayed that I'd hear that this morning. And you think, oh, God, thank you for pushing me. So we have to live with both. There is more to prophecy than simply calling people out and saying, God's got a plan for their lives, he wants to bless you. But it is that, so do that. But long for more, is that? Okay, I want to provoke us but I want to make sure that you get provoked by Paul who says, eagerly desire. The hope, what we've learned this morning from the prophets is God speaks. He spoke and the world came about. He spoke in the garden to find Adam. And then he, sent, he spoke to Abraham, so he's going to make him into a great nation. Then he spoke to Moses. Then he sent prophets to speak. And now he's given you a voice and ears and will speak to you. And on Sundays, we should be expecting God to speak through the preacher and through one another. And it's clear that that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. They just needed a little bit of order to sort it out and stop boasting and bragging and saying, look how spiritual we are. We can all talk in tongues. And what's more, we all interrupt each other. And whoever's the last one standing is clearly the most anointed. Now, I don't know that that was there, but there's that kind of... So Paul doesn't say, don't do it. He's do it this way. And remember, God is speaking. So if people don't hear God, what are you doing? Our problem is partly because the spiritual dimension is different from our worldview. We're brought up with rationalism, what we can see and touch is real, spiritual things weird and and flaky. 
And then because some of us, my age, few of you in that bracket, um, could have been brought up in churches where we thought this. So I was taught it was the devil that makes you talk in tongues. I never thought, why would he do that? That's weird. If tongues is a way of your spirit connecting with God, why would the devil make you do it? I, I never had the, never thought it through enough to ask that question. But I was brought up believing that. So when I then come into charismatic church life, I've got all kinds of obstacles to come across. But praise God, by his grace, I, I came across them. But actually, this is, this is normal. That when we're together, few of us in a home or in a hall like this, the Spirit's working. And we need to let this provoke us to, because Paul says, whenever you come together, this happens. For those of you who don't think this is you, if there's nothing else you take away from this morning, this is you. And it's a gift. I'll come back to that. Goodness, I'm jumping around a load of place. What should we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Here it is. Each of you has a hymn. In some of our churches, it could be, whenever you come together, Robert always has a word. And Sheila follows it up. And there's not an each of you. It's all of us. These are gifts. This is your inheritance. Your Father's got presents for you to bless people. A revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Everyone. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three, Three at the most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. So there's the flip side. So earlier Paul says, ask for the interpretation. Here he says, suggest someone else can get the interpretation. We must teach both. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So that's interesting. You know, do we know in our churches, you know, is this gift used enough that we think, look around this morning, I think I've got a tongue. I've not got the interpretation. And I know um, Steve... It's normally the one who interprets. He's not here this morning. I think I'll just hold back. That's what Paul is saying to do. It's interesting, isn't it? But most of us aren't confident enough or used to speaking in tongues that we feel we know something to bring. It's a rare gift these days. Many of us can pray in the Spirit in terms of bringing a tongue. Well, Paul seems to be saying, each of you have something, and sometimes that will be a tongue. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now here, the others, is that the whole body or is that other prophets? We don't know. All we need to take away from this is what can make us feel safe about people saying, look, I think God is saying this, is that there are people in the church who will weigh that, who will think, yeah, that sounds like God. That may be the elders, that may be the other people in the room, it may be other prophets. But prophecy is to be tested. Is that God or not? Um, great story from a friend of mine. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, or if he made it up, but it's worth telling. Um, someone gets to the front of the meeting and says, Thus says the Lord. And presumes to prophesy something which just is a little bit off. And everyone's like, what are the elders going to do with this? <laughs> oh, goodness, what are we going to say? How are we going to make this? And it's just, it's, it was so off, it was really awkward. So one of the elders gets up, goes to the microphone and says, The Lord says, that wasn't me. And goes back and also worship leader to keep going. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I've had to do that. I've, I've had to, it's not happened very often. This lovely, lovely person, uh, older man in one of our churches, brought up and came up and went to the microphone and prophesied a load of stuff, tied in with the royal family and, and some anniversary and revival coming in the land and all of that. 
And it just wasn't really from God. And I knew this man well. I knew what was on his heart. Um, but you can gently lead the church through. If you've got relationship, if love is the way, remember? Paul says his love is the way. It's fine to get up and say, look, and I'll use you, Andy, okay, just because I know you. Look, thanks, Andy, for sharing. Um, we can think about that a little bit more. I'm not sure that's for us right now. Um, so I'm just going to pray, and then the band will just pick us up, and we'll go back into the next song. Just wave prophecy. Hopefully Andy doesn't feel like he's been shamed in front of everybody. I've not dismissed it, because actually you can come back to it and wait later. But we need to do that. Um, or need to, and then that makes the rest of us feel safe. One of the biggest hang-ups, why some of you don't prophesy or don't speak out in tongues, is because you're scared of making a mistake and scared of shaming God. Get over it. God's very big. He doesn't need defending. And he knows you're going to make mistakes. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So why is the church still hung up about making mistakes? In an atmosphere of hopefully in our churches of love and grace and acceptance. Fear still holds too many of us back when it comes to the spirit. And I, I get that. I live with that. It still happens now. happens less, fortunately, because God's helped me. But I can still be standing in meetings thinking, is this God, is this God, is this God? And someone gets up the front and brings exactly the word I was going to bring. And then pride comes in. Oh, I missed my chance. It wasn't about you in the first place. <laughs> but just a bit of fun. But the, you think, oh, is this you? Why am I kind of asking that? If I know other people are going to weigh it, let them know if it's God or not. That's what Paul is saying. Gets the pressure off you. Get up and share what he thinks on your heart. Now, the way prophecy can come, just to go off on this a little bit, I was going to do it in my notes. It's revelation, something God wants to make known. It's not in addition to scripture. We know that. It's not on the level that the prophets that we did earlier are. Um, and it's God speaking about something he's already revealed but wants to make known again in that moment. So, for example, we know God loves us, but sometimes a prophetic word comes and there's such a sense of weight or anointing on it about his love, we think, oh, I needed to hear that. It's not new, but there's an in the moment. Or it can be something that God wants some people in the room or the church to hear right now. Um, so God may talk about um, a promise he's got for the church and what the church will do or what the church should give itself specifically in mission going forward so there's that sense of nowness about a truth we already know or a sense of revelation around purpose that God has for us if that makes that would be how I would sum it up and that can come all kinds of ways I get pictures I could look there's not really time yet I could now I'm not boasting I'm trying to help so for me, I could say, okay, let's pray. I'll see if God's going to give me anything. And sometimes pictures can come that quickly. So sometimes in meetings, Paul goes on here and says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? It means the prophet doesn't have to talk. He can shut up. So sometimes I'm not bringing stuff in a meeting. Because the other thing some of us need to ask, not many of us, because many of us hold back, but you also need to say, God, do you want me to bring this now? I think I'm getting a revelation, a picture or a word. But once, do you want me to bring this now? Or is this for another time? So some of you who prophesy regularly, that may be your next point of growth, if that makes sense. For most of you, it's just overcoming your fear, plucking up enough courage to share. But there's a timing thing too. So sometimes I've got words. I'm not bringing them because I don't feel the Holy Spirit's given me permission. I think, well, why am I getting them then? Well, because God loves to speak. I spoke loads to my kids, and I still do, but when they were younger, they can't remember half of it. They just knew I spoke, and they loved it. Same with God. Um, there's something that normal about prophecy. So it can come through giving a picture, an impression. One 
prophetic gift I know, he, he talks about having a film. He can see like a whole scene. It's that vivid for him. Oh, I wish I'd got that. It's the kind of thing that may take away some of my nerves. All I get is a little hint. But he'll see a whole kind of screen play out. And then he prophesies. It's amazing. Well, I can't do that. So I'm not going to try and do that. I want to keep eagerly desiring, but I'm not going to try and be like him. It can be through a word in a song or, or suddenly you're struck by a line in worship. And you think, oh, gosh, that's really... Is that just for me? I think it might be more. Think, how do you know? You, you don't know until you get out and share it. Most of the time, I've not known if a word's from God until I've shared it and someone said to me afterwards, that was for me, thank you. You're not going to know before then. So stop waiting. It's very unlikely that Gabriel, the angel, is going to come alongside you when you say, is that really from you? And say, just to let you know, Steve, that's really from God. See you next week. The whole point is, is that God wants to grow you in faith and relationship with him and trust him. And he says he's given you a gift. So if he says he's given you a gift, where else do you think it's come from? That's as deep theologically as we're going to get in this session. I'm serious. God says he's given you gifts. Paul says each of you has. Now what do you do to earn a gift? Nothing. And Paul says you've got them. If you put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is now living in your life, he has given you gifts. You need to step out and use them. I don't believe that everybody has one gift or two gifts for the rest of their lives. The Holy Spirit can give them as, they, as, as he wants. Some of those gifts, like gifts of evangelism or pastor or a prophet or teacher, clearly some of those gifts, from what Paul says in Ephesians, come through into a role that then serves the church. So you can have people that prophesy and then you can have a prophet because their gift has developed so much when people look at them, they think, wow, that is really powerful. They're often very accurate and God uses it in that way so we can call them a prophet. In the same way that when someone... Te- you could all hopefully teach the Bible to someone. it be a verse or a passage that you'd be confident in that you could explain to someone else. That doesn't make you a preacher. But you can teach. Does that make sense? Yeah. So with prophecy. We're all to evangelize. But some people are really gifted at it and see loads of fruit or are really gifted at equipping others to do evangelism so call them an evangelist when they preach people are saved when you preach even the cat leaves the room (laughs) being foolish now (laughs) why do they why when they when they preach why do so many people come forward i preached last week no one come forward it's a gift it's evangelism so you call them an evangelist but we're all to desire spiritual gifts, and I think the Holy Spirit can give you ones that, at different times. You don't have to look it up. Um, there are these chart, typical kind of Western academic approach to these things, you know, find your spiritual gift course. <laughs> I have no problem with that because some of us need the practical help that kind of comes into some of our personality and some of our passions, that those things can help us interpret and understand what our gifts might be. It's helpful. Just don't lock it up and say the Holy Spirit can't use you in another way. That's my point. So no problem with practical courses that help people think through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's why at the beginning, I was going to come back to later, you know, I mentioned Jesus, who was clearly having words and gifts of healing for people that weren't in meetings. So one of the things, I'm saying the church because that's the context of the passage, um, but I think you know, what you see in the book of Acts with Paul and other disciples, you know, there's times where Paul discerned that someone had a, uh, a demon and that was a gift of discernment coming. There's times when you see the gifts of healing coming, 
times when you, you see the gifts working outside of the church meeting. Um, and we should absolutely be wanting that. Why couldn't God give you a word of encouragement for your work colleague? You're praying in the morning, God, use me today. Anything you want to say to me for the people I'm going to be with? And it doesn't have to be all weird over coffee. Oh, the Lord spoke to me this morning when I was praying for you. And here's what I saw. You can bring it up conversationally, especially if you're not sure. And just, how things going at home, Andy? Everything all right? Oh, I've been a bit tricky. Kids okay? Because God spoke to you that Andy was having problems in his family with his kids. You don't have to come out with that. You can just do it conversationally. So we should absolutely be doing that. Heather, did you want to ask something? Yeah, it was just interesting about this. You know, at work, I mean, people are going to clairvoyance. Yeah. Because of word. And, and, I mean, before I got saved 25 years ago, I, I did it. And I struggled at first with prophecy because yeah. that was a counterfeit of it. Yeah. And it, it, it was a struggle, you know, initially, I mean, yeah. not now. Yeah. But at work, if you give a word of knowledge or something like that, they're saying, oh, well, you know, so and so said this. And it, it's quite real. Yeah. Know, that they're, they're searching yeah. for a word of God. Yes, they are. I, I think there, there are counterfeits. The Bible teaches us that. It says it's Satan or masquerade as an angel of light. And that's where we just have to come back and say, well, it was Jesus that told me that. Now, they may turn around and say, oh, I did a seance or I, I saw a spiritualist or I had my cards read and they told me the same thing. Fine, leave it there. It's a seed you've sown. Well, okay, yeah, those things happen, but actually this was Jesus and he tells us things because he loves us and he's got a plan for us. He doesn't just tell us these things just to to let us know about the future or something. You can't always persuade them. I'm not very gracious though, I'm afraid. I'm going to say, oh, that's demonic, you know, and I'm going on. But I do. But, uh, but, yeah, it's just sometimes difficult. It is difficult. And, and different. And it, it, it's absolutely fine, particularly if you've got the relationship with people, to say, well, yeah, the, those th- spiritual things are out there. So what I would say to people, yeah, the, the supernatural and spiritual things are real but they're not all good and they're not all right. Just as other things in our lives aren't all good and all right. And what we need to understand is what are the good things? What are the things that are going to bring life to us? And that's why I believe Jesus is the best way to understand spiritual things. So that, that's the way to go with people. So you acknowledge that, yeah, those things are real, but some of them are bad. Totally. And I say, well, where, what do you mean they're bad? Where do they come from? Well, if you believe the spiritual things are out there, where do you think they come from? What the Bible shows us, and what Jesus shows us, is they, there's some bad spirits out there. Well, I mean, at Halloween, this day of the death, the maximum yep. thing, that's getting more and more. It is, absolutely. Um, yeah. I thought, well, why are you celebrating death? Yeah, uh, uh, totally. Oh, it seems nice just to bring it. Yeah. I mean, that, this, sorry, this is going way off, but I mean, it all... It does. The supernatural, whether it's things like Halloween, whether it's, um, it's dated now, the you know, Harry Potter stories, whether it's... Um, some stuff, yeah, all the kind of supernatural things that there are. It's an opportunity, another opportunity for us to bring the gospel in. Um, and too often Christians run from that because, oh no, that's spiritual stuff, this is bad. No, it's, it's the time to step in and say, actually, I do believe in the spiritual stuff. But I believe Jesus has shown us the good way. I'm going to push on to finish it. Sorry. I've told you, you're not listening to me. Someone else tell Heather to stop apologising, please. <laughs> Seriously, don't need to apologise, Heather, not at all. 
So, two or three prophets should speak, others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes, someone is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. It's good, isn't it? It's all very natural and practical. Uh, can I bring something now? Can you shut up, please? Thank you very much. No, nicer than that. But it's just... Sorry, Jonah. You're just sitting there close to me, and you hadn't said anything. If you're that insecure, we'll pray for you. Right, you're... 30.15, your turn. <laughs> if revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, speaker should stop. You can all prophesy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. I just said what that means. So if you've got a word, you don't have to bring it. So releasing. Most of you, that's not your problem. You're wondering if you've got a word or not. You need to bring it, and that's how you'll grow. That's how you'll find out. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, as are all the congregations of the Lord's people. So lots of practical instruction there. Let me just make some points quickly. You've got these in your notes, but just to finish. This subject is important. These churches were significant, and Paul instructs each of them because the existence and operation of the gifts in the church matters. So there's a whole chunk in his letter to the Corinthians on this. Um, And you you can only assume Paul instructed other churches on this. Just didn't make it into one of his letters. And he he writes in Romans 12, we haven't read that, but again talks about one body and members having different roles and talks about the gifts. The work of the Holy Spirit in the believer produces gifts and fruit. So the tradition I grew up in, we would talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So which is the list in Galatians about patience and kindness and, oh, the Holy Spirit's given because he's holy to make you holy. Um, And it's a force dichotomy. It's not one or the other, it's both. The New Testament talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So you want to see both in the church, patience, kindness, gentleness, mercy, as well as prophecy, tongues, healing, etc. Gifts are for everyone. You've got them. Believe that. I believe with prophecy that God's speaking. We just need to listen more. And I don't mean that in a condemning. I, I honestly believe, look at the Bible, it's full of him speaking. I believe God is speaking to you. The problem is he's trying to get used to his voice, drowning out the other noises. And I prophesy a lot, be one of my main gifts. But I still have to discern what's God and what isn't. And I'm aware I spend huge chunks of my life during a day not listening to him. So I'm not putting this on you. It's, oh, God is speaking to you. For goodness sake, listen. That's part of what we've been called into in relationship, learning to know the voice of our Father. And it's a growth thing in terms of learning his voice, learning when it's him, learning when it's just your feelings. And, and there's all plenty of bad prophecy modelled out there where you think, I'm not sure that was from God. It probably just sounds like that's something you're passionate about. Well, let's make it an easy subject, just as Paul does, to talk about and learn together. Prophets who are lone prophets going from church to church or doing ministry from church to church, I'm not saying they're not hearing God, but I'm more wary of them. It's meant to be in the church. I want my gift to be alongside other gifts. I want other leaders to better say, Andy, I don't think that was great this morning, or, or, or just that lots of your words have this theme. Is this God or is it just something you're passionate about? Now, no one's had to say that to me, but that's partly because I am aligning myself with others where it stops me going to that point. But prophecy, in, I know we're less, we don't see this so much in our group, but it's out there. Um, I mean, Africa, you know, you can pay for a prophet to come to your church, and, and you can buy prophecies and stuff. I mean, it's, it really is abused these days. And we can come close to it in the West with prophetic ministries that run conferences. It's meant to be in the church. 
meant to be normal, like this. That's what you see Paul talking about. Um, so the gifts are for everyone. It's given by the Holy Spirit. It's not a question of maturity, your knowledge, or your experience. Gifts are given to be used. See, I'm going to know so much of the Bible, I'm going to be a believer for so long. Um, I kind of feel I've given it to you, but I just want to say it again. You have gifts. End of. You might not know what they are. Maybe all kinds of questions you've got about them, but you have, don't ask if you've got a spiritual gift. Bah! Wrong question. <laughs> you've got them. Given to be used. Faith, measure of faith is important. You can grow your measure of faith. Paul says that in Romans. We didn't read that. But, you know, prophesy according to um, the measure of faith. In other words, don't try and be something you're not. And my gift has grown over the years, the more I've used it. And often we can hold back because we hear an awesome prophecy. Think, I could never prophesy like that. Well, Paul, Paul says, don't. If your faith isn't that developed, well, don't then. Prophesy according to your measure. Lead according to your measure. Teach according to your measure. We're all different. We've all got different roles. It's so releasing. One of the things that... Oh, goodness, time. One of the things the devil gets us over again and again and again, and leaders aren't exempt from it, and none of you in this room, it'll get you to compare, it'll make you think you're not as gifted as someone else, you're not as good a teacher, worship leader, prayer, pastor, compassionate, oh, evangelist or anything as anyone else is. Stop it. We're up, the passage in Romans is all around the body. We're all different and have different measures. And one of the things we've got to learn is to keep desiring more, because Paul is teaching that, eagerly desire, and they've got them. It's interesting Paul says that. Their problem is, is they're boasting in them and doing it all out of order. But Paul still tells them to desire more. What do you mean desire more? It's a mess, Paul. They're all interrupting each other. They're all prophesying and speaking in tongues for the he can't understand anything. People come in and think they're a bunch of nutters. You've told them that. What do you mean eagerly desire? They don't need to eagerly desire. Now Paul says eagerly desire them. So to do that, but also don't compare ourselves. Don't, could I preach like this? Or I could never prophesy like that. Well, don't prophesy like that. Just prophesy. And let God grow you into who he's called you to be. Purpose of the gifts is to build up the individual believer and to build up the church. They're to strengthen the church. I put the notes there. This is so important. Jesus wants strong churches. This world needs strong churches. Not flaky churches. Not churches where anything gets taught or anything goes. Or we're trying to engage in cultures, make ourselves acceptable so we compromise on the gospel or whatever else. It needs strong churches. How do churches get strong? Gifts of the Spirit. It's profound, isn't it? You want to be in a strong church? I'm really going for it now because I've only got three minutes. Prophesy. Yeah, love people. Acts of mercy. Teach one-on-one. Share what God has said to you in your heart. You don't have to be at the front. Someone said to me years ago, they're now leading a very vibrant, growing church, and they're a good preacher. They came to me and they said, I want to preach. How can I learn to preach? I said, lead a house group and study the Bible. Because preaching is the public gift of being able to understand the word and love people. So you know what their needs are and you bring the relevant truth out of God's word. That's what preaching is. Now yes, there's an anointing there. Yes, there's a measure there. People that can preach to 500, people that can preach to 50. But it's taking God's word and making it relevant with the anointing of the Holy Spirit into someone's life. You can do that one-on-one. You can do it in a big conference. But the way you learn... Is by loving people and loving his word. You don't have to go to a preaching class. That can come later. And so many, because of what we think is important, you know, by what we model up front, there's only a few people to preach, a few worship leaders and all of that. We've got to keep working hard at 
the importance of everybody having a gift, and it doesn't have to play out publicly with a microphone. So we've got to work on that one too. Because I have so many people that come to me and say, God's really called me, he wants me to be a preacher. Or wants me to be a pastor. Meaning, we need a lot more people using these gifts in the workplace. But we don't profile that. So people think, oh, to be someone in God, they've got to be like me, who, by God's grace, have been asked to do this full time. But most of you won't. But Paul says you've got gifts. So part of the provocation to us is to make sure we value those gifts. Part of provocation to you as an individual is know this. Oh, goodness me. This is really important. I'll say it to you. It's for everybody, but I think you need to hear it. That you sharing something that you know about Jesus to a fellow believer to encourage them and strengthen them is just as important as those of us in this room who get to preach in front of 50 or 100 people. That's what Paul is teaching. You sharing with someone strengthens the church. I know my gift does. But if there's not people like you doing that, and you, and any of you, then the church is weak. If it just relies on my preaching gift, or one of your preaching gifts, the church is weak. That's not church. The church is made strong by everybody, either prophesying, tongue interpretation, a teaching one-on-one in a group, a prayer, because you've got a gift of mercy. Gosh, you need some mercy right now. I don't know how I'm seeing it. I'm saying you need mercy. I'll come to you and encourage you how things are. Let me pray for you. Oh, that matters. To my mind, just as much, if not more, if the whole body are doing it, than what I get to say for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. We've got to empower the church to get that. Because we're all disciples. We all hear God. He's speaking to all of us. And strong churches is everyone released into that. So much debate around, I'm not going to unpack this one when I'm already over time, 12.31. You know, part of the debate around making sure we're empowering men and women, and I've had conversations, including my own daughters, I've got five gorgeous kids, and every one of them is a leader, which made growing up around the family meal table fun, because everyone wanted to lead. I've got three daughters, and I tell you, they're incredible leaders. Thank God for them. But issues around eldership and preaching and teaching... Part of the difficulty is, is we've not got this bit right, where we've made people feel empowered for what they can bring and the understanding that that's what makes the church strong. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't other things we need to get right. That doesn't mean that I want my daughters or any of you ladies just being content with sitting still, listening to blokes all the time, and you get to pray with someone one-on-one. That's not what I'm saying. Loads of men don't get to fulfill, fulfill that either because we've got to empower people in discipleship that their conversations, their words, their use of the gifts build the church in the community life of the church and it's not just what goes on in the front. Does that make sense? And we need to value that. Women, make the church strong. And you don't need a microphone. And yes, we need to be a bit freer, I think, with some people who do get the microphone. But actually that applies across both genders, in my opinion. Subject for another day. But if we just do that, we're missing this. Everyone hears God. Everyone has a gift. Everyone gets to make the church strong. Oh, goodness. That's really unhelpful. Have a watch. (laughs) (laughs) Strength and encourage others. Paul says to build the church. The church is the house of God. It's not about us. It's not about my gift. It's not about whether I'm right or wrong. It's not about people noticing me. Wow, that was a great prophecy this morning. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) 
It's about the bride. That's what's at stake. That's why this matters. Okay, I talked about tongues earlier. Gifts, touched on this, can be very quick now that we've finished. Gifts must be expressed in a way that's accessible for unbelievers. Commented on that. That's clear what Paul is saying. Doesn't shut it down, but says, hey, remember, there's unbelievers, and you don't want them thinking that there's something wrong with you. So don't shut it down, but just have an order, shepherd people well, and explain things. And Paul is encouraging the use of the gifts. So Paul wouldn't land where some of our churches have landed, said, no, not going to have these gifts on a Sunday. It's frightened that we got to that point. Paul is encouraging the gifts with unbelievers in the room, but he's encouraging the right use. Um, I've listed some things under order there, I think. I made that point about God's presence being displayed through the gifts and how we explain things. They're a sign of God being real. And just coming back to your point, you know, we see this in the life of Jesus and the disciples. Miracles, words of knowledge, understanding the woman at the well, you know, the gifts were a sign that God was alive, that Jesus is from God. So this isn't just in the meeting. Gifts then are to be desired and sought after. How many of you head into a small group? How many of you head into a Sunday thinking God's given me something? Most of us head in to receive. I know life's hard. I know some of us are holding down, demanding jobs. Some of us are trying to work hard to balance things financially. Some of us are raising children. Some of us are trying to work out what's my life going to look like next year. And of course we come to meetings, God, I need you to meet with me this morning. But actually we need to flip that. Because Jesus said, and it wasn't about money, it was actually about relationships, give and you'll receive. There's no greater way to be blessed and strengthened than to give to others. And we need to make disciples where we flip it from, and again our culture kind of strengthens this sadly, from consumer, what will I receive, to what can I give this morning? God's given you gifts, he wants you to give them away. Eagerly desire, says Paul. Seek after them. Long for them. So that's about faith. It's about believing that what we read in (coughs) Corinthians and Romans is true. Faith. So faith that Jesus died on the cross for you. Faith that the Holy Spirit is living in your life. Faith that he's giving you gifts. So line up. It's a faith issue. It's not an experience issue or a maturity issue. It's a faith issue. That God will use you to build his church in a home group on a Sunday. God will use you to bring revelation of Jesus in the workplace or at college. God can give you a spiritual gift, a word for someone, a sense that someone's in trouble, a sense of needing to be particularly loving and compassionate to a work colleague because there's something going on. Maybe the Spirit's shown you, maybe he hasn't. He's just brought to mind that that person that week needs to be on your radar. Spiritual gift. Eagerly desire them. Long for them. Sometimes I've heard people say this, particularly from the tradition I came out of, oh, I, I'm open. Now Paul says, don't be open to spiritual gifts. What is that? It's passive. Oh, I'm open to God using me. That's such nonsense. God's made it clear. It's given you everything you need. Don't be open. Be ready. Step out. Go for it. Make some mistakes. It's fun. Because it's all about finishing love. This is love. So spiritual gifts, prophesying, praying for someone, healing, setting up chairs, because there's gifts there in terms of how mercy gift works out, all those kind of things. And this is about love. It's not about a display. It's not about church being more charismatic than it is. But it's about love. Love the bride. 
So faith, desire, finally, treasure. These things are beautiful. Mm. Yeah, we can have questions. Yeah, we can be nervous. There's nothing worse than giving a word and then going back to your seat and the meeting just carries on and you think, what was that all about then? <laughs> it's awkward, isn't it? Not even the worship leaders picked up on it. Goodness. I'm sweating so much, my heart's beating, my blood pressure's gone through the roof, and no one's even flipping mentioned my prophetic word. <laughs> oh, hang on, I bet it looks like I'm worshipping, in case people will know, but I'm like, oh, I'm not going to step out again. I'm never going to do that again. That was so rubbish. So what? Really? Mm. I'm saying all of that because I've been there. Okay? That was my head, all right? That wasn't a prophetic word for one of you. That was me. <laughs> it was prophetic for one of you, but it was me. <laughs> it's about love. Love the church. Love your brothers and sisters. Every one of you has got beautiful gifts he's given you. You know Jesus. You've got things to say, especially you. You've got things to say to other people. Use them. Learn as we go. Let's pray. Stand. Jesus, what a note to finish on. We said it at the beginning. Your extraordinary purpose that you love us so much. That you speak through creation. You speak through sending prophets, men and women, leaders. And then you speak through your son. And we come to you and your mercy floods our life and you give us a new heart and you come and live in us by your spirit. I thank you you've given gifts across this room. I pray, Lord God, keep fire burning in us. Lord, each of us will be living with stuff during the week, Lord, that will quench our fire, that will challenge us, that will make it hard for us. Jesus, we need you to keep coming to us. Lord, thank you for this time that we've set aside. These people do this every month. Lord, we want it to produce fruit in us. We want to see the lost come to know you. Lord, we want to see um, our world paying attention to the fact there's another way to live. You can find justice. You can find hope. You can find love and mercy. And his name is Jesus. And these people in this room know him. And they will love them and care for them. Increase the the supernatural side of our faith, please. More miracles, Lord. Not because they're fun, but because the kingdom has come. Because it's a sign that there's another life. So increase the miracles, the prophetic insight. Anyone here who prophesies occasionally, cause them to prophesy more regularly. Anyone here who's never prophesied, may that change in the coming weeks. People who long to speak in tongues and it's never happened and now it's become like a massive barrier. Bring it down. Give them the gift, Lord God, so their prayer language can flow. Increase the supernatural activity of your spirit. And most of all, Help us keep walking the fact that we're sons and daughters and it's through the Spirit we cry of the Father. Amen.